Welcome to the Magnificat Podcast. We are an international ministry to Catholic women. Throughout this series, we will pray together, share insights, and hear amazing testimonies, typically from women of faith who have been touched by the power of the Lord in their lives. This is a decidedly Catholic podcast, and in this series, you will hopefully learn more about the Catholic faith, God, the Blessed Mother, and much more. Thanks so much for joining us. Now let's listen to a great program. It is my total joy and privilege to be here with you this morning. I've been looking forward to this meeting, and it's just a joy to be here. And I just have to say that already I'm feeling the presence of the Lord. And I was thinking of the song that we just sang, and I thought, you know, Lord, if you remember the, the words of that song, the very last line was, Oh, how I need you. And I thought, you know, that is really the story of my life. And the story of my faith is, I don't know how to do a lot, Father, but I know how to say, God, I need you. And that's enough. Amen? That's enough. It's not about having great big faith. It's about knowing where to go with our tiny, little, small faith. Because he's enough. Amen? I, uh, I greet you from Iowa. I, I, I am a Hawkeyes fan, as you can see. <laughs> and, a, and everything else. And a lot of times when people meet me, they make assumptions about me. I've traveled all around the world. I am uh, new to the Catholic Church. Before, before I came to the Catholic Church, I lived in a missionary community uh, doing every, a very wide variety in the Christian endeavor and uh, have loved being a daughter of the king, serving the Lord in his vineyard. Amen. And now I'm in the Catholic vineyard, and I'm loving it. Yay. And people, when they hear that and when they meet me, I, at this point, I have been to over 70 countries of the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ for the glory of God. Amen. And when people hear that, they make assumptions about me. But the truth is, I was not raised in a Christian home. I was raised in a, what I call, 10th generation heathen home. Uh, we didn't go to church. We were not, we didn't go at Christmas or Easter, so I wasn't even a Christer. I was nothing. I grew up as a nothing. And uh, my very, very first memory in life, my very, very first memory, very small, is of being beaten. I remember being beaten tossed in my bedroom. This was throughout my childhood. And I have a very distinct memory of, of sobbing. And it was not, it was that, that old, <laughs> trying to catch my breath, shivering when my dad walked by. And I look, would look out the window in my bedroom, and there would be a man in the sky. And he was my secret friend. And I didn't know his name, I didn't know who he was, I didn't know why he was there, but he was there for me as a child, and he was my friend. And later, um, when I was 12, my mother left. My mother left me and my two brothers with our abusive father. And when I was 15, I left. And I landed on a girlfriend's couch whose mother had pity on a teenage girl and let her hang out on her couch and actually bounced around from a few couches. And I was really good at one thing. 
I was good at school. I could do school really well because it was all I had. Um, so I did really well in school in spite of all of that. And I found myself as a student in Washington State. And because I was wounded, because I was, had brokenness in me, we tend to act out because of our woundedness, because of our brokenness, and I was acting out. It was the 70s, and everything the 70s was about, I was acting out, enjoying being a kid of the 70s. And I was hanging out with kids that were also partying and trying to self-medicate and doing everything they could to feel better because birds of a feather really do flock together. Wounded people tend to find each other. And I just continued doing that, and I was in grave danger of losing my place at the university because I was messing, I was really messing up. I couldn't keep it together. Couldn't, I, I, I just was sleeping in too late from partying too hard the night before. And I was a mess, and I was a disaster. But something unforeseen and amazing and impossible happened. And what began to happen is my friends, I was living in a house with my friends who were all potheads, we were all partiers, we were all, I mean, everything was going on in that house. It was not the best group of people for me to be hanging around, in a, and I wasn't the best person for them to be hanging around, in all honesty. But something began to happen, and one night my friends went to church, and they came home talking about Jesus. And, I, and they scared me to death. I understood them when they were drunk. I understood them when they were high. I understood them when they were passed out. But coming back, talking about Jesus, that I did not understand. And they totally, I'm going to be honest with you, they were freaking me out. And they're, then they're going to church every night. Now they're wearing big crosses around their necks or hanging, holding big Bibles under their arms. I'm like, I'm like, what? I did not understand what was going on with them. And I remember thinking, uh, thanks, but no thanks. And I was going to tell you something about that. At that point in my life, part of the reason, you know, I think about this sometimes. I'll, I'll, I'll reflect back on a talk that I gave. And I'll think, you know, why was that, that that I was so freaked out? And part of it was, I had never, Jesus to me was a swear word. I had never heard the name of Jesus spoken kindly or lovingly or reverently in my life. And here my friends, they're talking about Jesus. Well, they, they, I thought they were in a cult. I was ready to do an intervention. I mean, I just didn't know. And then they had the nerve to tell me they were praying for me. And I'm like, no, thank you, no, thank you, I don't think so. And it got, the, the fire got hot in that house. I was starting to feel really uncomfortable. How many of you understand what I'm saying? I was starting to, they're just a little too religious for me. Now they're becoming fanatics. They're talking about the Holy Spirit. I'm just like, no, thank you. And worst of all, I was left to party all by myself. What kind of party is that? And I'm like, this is not working. I'm going to move on. I'm going to go hang out with somebody else. And, and uh, you guys are just, you're going somewhere that I didn't anticipate when I moved in. And I was getting all ready to move out. I was very angry. I was feeling rejected again. I was feeling rejected again because this had been my tribe. This was kind of like my, my crew. This was my, we were a mess. But we were together, and now they've betrayed me by going off and finding Jesus, and they're trying to convert me. And I'm like, I don't, I don't understand it. I don't want it. And so I'm moving out, and I think, 
I've got to tell my one really good friend. I've got to tell her before I just leave. I can't just leave, right? I can't just leave like they just left me. I'm gonna, so I'm going to go tell them that I'm, that I'm moving out tonight. So I go up, drive out to Woodenville, Washington, and I uh, went to the, it was the United Methodist Church was having a big meeting, and I walked in, and to my shock, there were about 500 college-age students in there worshiping, just like we were worshiping this afternoon, and I was like, this is church? And I walked in, and where do you think my friends were seated? Second row. Second row on this side, and I spot my friends, and I'm going down this long, old church in Woodenville, Washington, and I get down there, and halfway down, the music stops, everybody sits down, and I like to tell this part because it's just fun to remember. Does anybody remember clogs? Okay, in my day, clogs were made of wood. Remember that? And they had a thin layer of rubber on the bottom of the sole. All the rubber on my sole was gone. So I'm walking in wooden clogs on a wooden floor going clomp, clomp, clomp. Well, now I'm embarrassed and I'm mad. So by the time I get up to them, I'm like seething, like how dare they and how could they and they've left me and now I'm embarrassed and uh, stupid shoes, you know, that kind of thing. And I get up there and I whisper in my friend's ears, thanks a lot for nothing. I'm leaving. If you guys would rather have this, you can have it. And they're all looking at each other while I'm, you know, the loud whisper that you do when you're really mad. And my friends are looking at each other going, she's here, she's here. And I'm like, I am, this is not me being here. I am not here. Do not enjoy this. This is, I am not here. I am leaving you right now. And I came to the end of the row, and now I'm just embarrassed, and I'm feeling funny. And I get to the end of the row, and, and you know, I don't know why I did it. I have no idea. I know who knows. And I suddenly found myself down at the front. It was a really high altar in an old, old Methodist church that was having charismaniac meetings. I didn't even know what that meant, meant then. And I'm standing down there, and I just stood there turning every shade of color you could think of. And finally, there's this man up there, and he's talking. I'm just standing there, and I'm looking around, and I'm waiting for something to happen, like lightning to strike me or something. And he stops, and he leans over, and he goes, young lady, can I help you? <laughs> and I said, just get it over with. Whatever you did to them, do to me. <laughs> he went on to talk for like five more minutes, still leaving me standing there. And in about five minutes, there were about 200 other college-age kids standing down at the altar, giving their lives to Jesus Christ for the glory of God. Could somebody say amen? <laughs> I don't remember what happened. I remember I prayed. I remember I wept. I remember I wept for hours. I don't remember going home. I remember waking up the next day, and the sky was really bluer, and the grass was really greener. And the sun was really sunnier. I didn't know theology. I had never read a catechism. I was not a churchgoer. I didn't know a scripture to save my life. But what I knew was that I was no longer an orphan, that I'd been adopted by my heavenly father, that I had a brand new life in Jesus Christ, that old things were washed away, and I was a brand new person for the glory of God. Amen. I was so excited. I was so thrilled. I was so transformed. I was so overnight. Habits broke off of me overnight. My, my language changed. My desires changed. I just, I loved Jesus. I ran after him with everything I had. 
Because he, if he could save me, he could save anyone. Amen? If he could transform my life, there's nobody that you know that is too far from the grace of God, the mercy of God, the power of God, the voice of the Holy Spirit. There's nobody too lost. Amen? I found out that Jesus loves the Mary Magdalene's who have nothing to bring him but their sin. They're the ones he died for. Amen? And that's us. Well, I had, was so transformed and so in love with Jesus, I understood, I understood two things. One is I suddenly knew the name of the man that had been in my window. It had to be Jesus. It had to be. And I was so grateful, but even later I would wonder, why were, why were you with me, Lord? Why me? I would wonder that all the time. Lord, why were you there? I don't understand it, but you were there. And the second thing I knew is that I had the key to helping other people know that they were not alone in the world, that, they could, that I could bring Jesus to people the way, that, the way that people did not bring Jesus to me. Because when I became a believer, I did not know other people knew this. I'm going to talk to this side of the room. I did not know... <laughs> Other people knew this because nobody had told me. Nobody told me, so I didn't know that other people knew. I didn't know that other people were believers. I thought it was just our little church that were. I didn't know because nobody had ever said a word to me. Somebody say, help me, Holy Ghost. So I made it my business. I knew what it had happened in my life. I knew how good it was to once be lost and now be found, was once to be blind, but now to see. And I was like, you know, this light bulb went off in my life, and I wanted everybody to know that Jesus is still alive, and he's still in the business of transforming lives. Amen? So we, we would meet. We would meet after church, and we'd go out witnessing. We would meet after church. We, by this time, I had moved to, to Southern California. We would have bonfires on the beach, and we'd minister to people on the beach. People came to the Lord. People got healed. People got transformed. I saw so many miracles. I know so many people in ministry today who came to the Lord from those days because I love what Jesus said, for whom much is forgiven, those that are forgiven much love much. Amen. Next time you go to reconciliation, you think, oh, here I go again. I'm always repenting. I'm always going to reconciliation. I'm always asking for forgiveness. Remember, he that is forgiven much loves much. Amen? So I made it my business. We're going to tell everybody the gospel. I, I was telling everybody I knew, and I like to share. We would, we would, I perfected the 30-second elevator pitch. Yep. And the other, other fun one that we did a lot was after church on Sundays. By this, I'm living in Southern California now, and we, my friend would hop on the escalator. The unsuspecting family would get behind them. I would get behind the unsuspecting family, and then we'd talk over them. Church was so awesome this morning. I just love it that God does so much in our lives, that Jesus is alive. And we would just preach to each other over their heads, and then we'd get off the escalator and go pray for them later. Amen. Because I wanted everybody to know, amen. And what do you do when you're in that position? I'm finally doing better in school, but my heart wasn't in it. I wanted the world to know. So what do you do? You go to Bible school. So I went on to Bible school. 
and um, a, a very prominent denomination. And while I was at that Bible school, I began to prepare to be a missionary. And I said, I want to go to third world countries. I want to go to the worst place. I want to go to the most broken places. I want to go where nobody else wants to go. I want to, I want to, you know, I want to, I just was full of vim, vigor, and vitality. And, um, and um, so I'm in Bible school, and I'm all excited, and we're going to go to the mission field. And then I decided I want to specifically go to third world missions. And they said, well, you know what? A lot of those countries that we're going to send you to are Spanish-speaking, so you're going to learn Spanish. Oh, and by the way, a lot of them are Catholic countries, so you're going to learn. You've got to take this class on how to win a Catholic. <laughs> so I took a class on how to win a Catholic because I'm going to go to the Philippines, and I'm going to South America, and I'm going to all these Catholic countries, and I've got to learn how to win a Catholic. So I got a certificate on how to win a Catholic. I took it twice. I got certified twice. I learned, I was learning theology, I was learning doctrine, I was learning all this, all this other stuff, and, and, and as well as getting equipped with the presence of the Lord to begin to go to the mission field. And so we began to travel. We crossed the country, lived in a missionary community in Ashland, Virginia for a long time. And I will tell you what, as, we're, as I'm a missionary and part of the team, we're traveling, I could tell you a story of being in the Philippines and we were having big crusade in Manila at a soccer stadium. They call it football stadium. We're having a big, um, big crusade, so healings are happening, people are coming to the Lord, it's beautiful, and, the, it, and we're being televised. So the manager of the television station says, if you can do this for five more days, if you can keep this going and the miracles keep happening, we will keep putting you on television for the next five nights. And we were like, let's see if the stadium's available. And the guy was like, if you can keep having crowds like this, because all the vendors were there anyway. You can have it. And my pastor, without batting an eye, said, we'll take it. And then we turned around and we said, half our team has to leave tomorrow. And he said, well, let's fan out. There's got to be people here and people with churches that will come and help us so we can go five more days. Think about how many more souls we can reach. And so, this, so we're fanning out, and this woman comes up, and she says, can I invite people from my church to come and help you? And we're like, bring them on. Bring them on. Be here by 5. Doors are going to open at 7. I mean, the meeting's going to start at 7. Be here by 5. And um, so the next day, our team, half of our team is saying goodbye, and I'm there with my pastor, and here comes that lady who said she was going to bring people from her church, and she's followed by about 20 priests and nuns. <laughs> and I'm thinking, wait a minute. <laughs> I have a certificate. <laughs> this cannot be happening. And I remember thinking, and I thought she meant, you know, when she said people from her church were coming, I'm thinking a little church in a barrio somewhere in the suburb. I didn't know she meant the church. <laughs> well, they fit right in. A bunch of Catholic cures, maniac, past, uh, priests and nuns. And in the back of my head, I'm thinking, this does not make sense. Because I had a certificate. The meetings were fabulous. This would happen periodically through my missionary career. I began to um, um, have children, began to stay here in the States more. My late husband became a church planner. Um, I 
I remember I was in a church once in Miami and all these, uh, we were having a meeting with all these Asians that, that were in this Asian community in Miami. And I'm, we're preaching, we're praying for everybody, we're ministering to everybody. And I said something and I can't even remember what I said. And the girl turned around and she goes, well, they're all retired priests and nuns. And I went, how can this be? <laughs> and I would go home and thinking, I don't understand this, Lord. I have a certificate. <laughs> Just one note on that. I, I was told I'd never have children. And I began to pray. And God miraculously opened my womb. I ended up having four children. Praise the Lord. When I, I was... I was staying in Hong Kong. At, I was st staying in Hong Kong, doing mission work. We were smuggling Bibles into China. We were doing mission work around Ma Hong Kong and Macau and in Southeast Asia. And I had a dream one night. It was Christmas time, and I had a dream that I was at home having a baby during a blizzard. This was like two years after I was told I would never have children. And later, we went on to the Philippines again, went on back to the United States, and sure enough, lo and behold, it's a long story, when I went into labor, the snow started, the doctor never made it to, because I was having a home delivery because of the dream, doctor never made it to the delivery, so I was at home having a baby during a snowstorm, just like the Lord showed me. Give the Lord a great big amen, amen. So I'm at home, and we, we had something that began to happen in our ministry. We had a big, uh, the wind of the Spirit began to blow through our ministry, and a worship movement blew through. And we just would get caught away, you know, like what we did today. We would just get caught away, but it wasn't for 20 minutes. It would be for four hours, for six hours. People would just be laid out, feeling the presence of the Lord, the presence of his angels. It was amazing. And people started coming to our little tiny, not made for this, missionary community from all over the world. And I remember our, our pastor came back from Europe, and by this time I, we had a new director at our ministry, and they were coming back from Europe. They said, I brought some of our friends who want to worship with us. And I looked, and it was all these Catholics that were coming to visit our little ministry. And I was thinking, wait a minute. I have a, I have a certificate. And I had all these reasons why they shouldn't be there, why I thought they shouldn't be there. And they're just worshiping with us, and we're worshiping God together, and it was amazing. And one of the people in that ministry it, it, during that time heard me speaking in the morning, and I was talking about the bridegroom. I was talking about being caught up in the love of God and how much he loves us. He doesn't want us to know about him. He wants us to know him. He wants us to encounter him. He's the bridegroom who looks at us and doesn't say, I wish Shirley would get with it. No, he looks at us and says, that's my bride, and he's in love with us. Amen? And I'm talking about the bridegroom, and this man, one of those men that came, one of those Catholics that came, he comes up to me and he says, um, I heard you speaking this morning. Um, would you like, I want to lend you a book of mine. And I'm looking at him smiling, and I'm like, okay. And on the inside, I'm thinking, I don't have time for this, and it's probably Catholic. And um, he gives me this book, and a couple weeks later, he's like, uh, have you finished with that book yet? And I'm like, I haven't, even, I haven't even looked at it yet. And I thought, you know, I'm a good person. I'm at least going to browse. I'm at least going to thumb through the pages, right? So I start hurriedly thumbing through the pages, and I'm flipping through, and I'm like, oh, 
wow. And I flipped another page. <gasps> wow. It. I read the whole thing. I was writing. I was copying the book. It was so beautiful. I go back to Bill and I said, you got any more of these books? I was in shock because I thought we were cutting edge. And I found out this book was written by someone that lived 500 years ago, by a Catholic, <laughs> by a woman, by a nun. And she was so, she was talking about everything that was in my heart. Uh, you might have heard of her. Her name is uh, uh, St. Teresa of Avila. <laughs> I had never heard of her. I'm like, oh my gosh, she's a glory girl. She's one of us. But I have a certificate. <laughs> How can she be talking like this if she's Catholic? And I begin to devour. Bill starts handing me all these books. I'm reading Bernard of Clairvaux. I'm reading Augustine. I'm reading Teresa of uh, Therese of Lisieux. I'm reading. You know, I didn't. I did not know he was feeding me the doctors of the church. So I still have these books. I would circle all these wonderful things. I'd underline them. I'd highlight them, and I'd put big X's through the things that that didn't make sense and were too Catholic for me. Because you know, I still had my certificate. <laughs> and I thought, I'm just going to eat the meat and spit out the bones. But I'm just, I'm loving these books, and I'm like, I don't, I don't get this. And I began to have questions. And about that time, I was invited. My pastor actually told me to go to a Pentecostal Catholic conference in Pennsylvania <laughs> with Monsignor Walsh in Philadelphia. And I thought, oh, I'm going to be around real live Catholics that are actually Catholic. And um, I thought, okay, I'm gonna, I've been reading these books. I'm going to be around other people who evidently probably read some of these books. We'll see. And I, I have to tell you this part. Every time I had a question, because what I, what I, you know, I had a certificate. And every time I had a question, because I'm reading these, these beautiful people who I didn't even know existed, I had nobody to ask the questions of, what does this mean, and why do you believe this, and don't you know what the Bible says, and don't you know what the Protestants teach, and don't you know that, that that's, you know, I just had all of my, my questions and arguments and everything like that. In the meantime, Bill Wilner moves as a Catholic lay missionary to Cyprus, where he's doing Life in the Spirit seminars with students from Africa who are getting their education in Cyprus to this day. And so he's gone. And I'm trying to, I would meet a Catholic with all a bazillion questions from everything about my certificate, right? And I, what, what I found out was not all Catholics were created equal. <laughs> and what I found out is 99% of the people I was meeting that were identifying themselves to me as a Catholic didn't understand my questions, let alone the answers. So I'm like trying to figure this all out. So when I got this opportunity to come up to Philadelphia to come to the Catholic Pentecostal Conference with Monsignor Walsh, I thought, oh, I'm going to go to that thing, and I'm going to, there might be some believers there. And I went, and I thought, I'm just going to chew the meat and spit out the bones, and you know when it gets too Catholic, I'm just going to stand in the back. You know, when they start doing Catholic stuff, I'm going to stand in the back. 
So the conference went really well. I met Father Tom DeLorenzo. It was very beautiful. I met all these other wonderful people, and I could not understand why they would be Catholics when they loved Jesus so much. You have to understand, I had a certificate, okay? Don't get mad at me. And while I was there on the very last day, they were going to have some kind of procession, and I thought, that smacks of Catholicism. I'm going to go stand in the back, let them do all their Catholic stuff, and I'll just stand, up, I'll just stand back there, and I'm going to worship the Lord, because I love to worship God. I'm just going to stand in the back and worship while they do all their stuff. So I'm standing in the back, and the music is playing, and I could tell that there was activity in the room, but I'm back there, and I've got my eyes closed, and I've got my hands raised, and I'm just worshiping Jesus. And all of a sudden, Jesus was standing in front of me in the back of that Catholic church. I found myself bowing. I couldn't even stand up. I kept bowing because the Lord, his majesty, was standing right in front of me. It was so powerful. Waves of his presence began to wash over me. And I, finally, I was bowing. And when I came up, I opened my eyes and there was the priest from Omaha, Nebraska, standing over me, holding this gold stem with a starburst on top with a glass case in the middle. And I, I didn't know what a monstrance was, but all I knew was that Jesus Christ was standing in front of me, and I didn't know how. Somebody say amen. I went home from there, and I thought, what was that? It was real. The Lord was standing there, but I didn't understand how could that be and what was that because I had a certificate. And I went home and I began to investigate. In the meantime, my, my late husband, God rest his soul, uh, we, were church, we started church planning. So we started traveling all over the country. And now I would, I was that lady. I'd find out somebody was Catholic and I would start peppering you with questions. And I had a problem because I was a church planner and so many of the, oh, do I tell this part? Should I? Do you want to, okay. I asked this question. Do you want the sanitized, safe version or do you want what actually happened? Okay. At least a half of the people in our new churches were lapsed Catholics. Okay. And I had a problem because I knew that if I questioned somebody too deeply about their faith, they didn't know it enough. They'd end up at my church. But I had begun to respect them enough that I didn't necessarily know that that was a good thing. You understand what I'm saying? And so I, hadn't, I couldn't even ask priests my questions. So what do you do? I found myself down in my office one night. You Google. So I'm Googling. What about this? What about that? What about the Pope? What about reconciliation? Why this? Why do Catholics believe that? Why do Catholics? I stumble on a website called the Coming Home Network. And I became, in those days, they don't have it anymore, but in those days they had something that they had called the Minister's Forum where you could anonymously log on and argue with theologians. So I was, by that time I was living in Minnesota, I logged on as Minnesota Glory Gal. Yeah, that was me. <laughs> That woman that was arguing with everybody because she had a certificate, that was me. Because I understood my faith. I understood what the Bible said. So I'm, I'm trying to, to say, well, this is great if you just didn't believe in Mary. 
This is great if you just didn't believe in reconciliation. This is great if you just didn't believe in the infallibility of the church, of the pope, of the magisterium. Why am I? I had a lot of questions because I had a certificate. In the meantime, the Holy Spirit. In the meantime, the Holy Spirit told me to go on a, on a sabbatical, and I canceled. 13 months of meetings to obey the Holy Spirit. And I'll tell you, and I wrestled about that. And I'll tell you what night it was. It was, it was the night that the uh, saints skewered the Vikings in the playoffs. <laughs> and all of Minneapolis was bleeding purple. <laughs> and I finally surrendered and said, okay, I'm going to go on, on this sabbatical, Lord. Canceled all my meetings. And the day that I did my last meeting, you remember my mom? My mother called me. Now, I had, we had reconciled because one of the things that happens when you come to the Lord is he's not just looking for people to serve him. He's looking for people to heal. And one of the things he did was he healed my heart. I was able to forgive my mother. I was able to uh, renounce anger and rejection and bitterness and to be reconciled with my mother. It was really beautiful. She was still never my mom, but she was my mother. And so my mom calls me. Well, she never called me. My mom called me. And she had just been diagnosed with fourth stage non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And I said, Lord, how good you are that you cleared my schedule so I can go take care of my mom who was unable to take care of me. So I went and flew out to be with my mom. I was with her for all of her, all of her treatments. I spent you know, a lot of time out there. And we did laughter therapy. I had people around the world praying for her. I was with her you know, for chemo, for everything. Did a lot of prayer, did a lot of ministry. And my mom, she's sitting there and she goes, what are you reading? I said, oh, just a book. What are you reading? It's just a book. What are you reading? No, no, no. Every time I see you, every time you've always got a book in your hands. Tell me what you're reading. And I'm thinking to myself, my mom already thinks I'm crazy. Her Pentecostal daughter's traveling all around the world preaching the gospel. I am not about to tell my mom that her Pentecostal preacher daughter is now reading Catholic contraband. <laughs> so I'd say, nothing, mom. I'm not reading anything. And so finally she's laying there. She's looking all pathetic while she's getting her treatment. And she said, what are you reading? And I said, okay. It's Catholic, okay? I'm reading the Catholic book, and it's so good. And I start telling my mom, I'm reading the doctors of the church. I've discovered all these people. Did you know there were Christians before Luther? I mean, <laughs> I'm telling my mom all this, and my mom's eyes are getting bigger and bigger. And I said, I, you know, between conferences, I'm preaching all around the world. I'm traveling all around the world during retreats and conferences, plus our churches that we're founding all through the Midwest. And I said, did... You know, Mom, this stuff is really good. And every time between meetings, I find myself in the nearest cathedral, the basilica, the corner church. I said, there's something in there. I just love it. Isn't that crazy? And my mom looked at me, and she said, well, you know you were baptized Catholic. <laughs> no. <laughs> you neglected to tell me that little piece of information. What? When? Where? How? And so I found out I was, I was baptized at St. Francis Xavier Catholic Church in St. Louis, Missouri in 1913. 
was so excited. I'm sitting there with my mom, and I'm like, you're kidding me. How? My mother said, my mother, my mother, whose mother had been married five times, said to me, it was her grandmother, who I call Madeline Madeline, who pressured her into getting me baptized. So I was baptized. So now I phoned the church. I gave them my information. They found me in their records, and I got a new certificate. Yay! What I understood about this is that even though I did not know that I was in covenant with God, God never forgot that he was in covenant with me. Amen? Remember the man in the sky? Now I knew his name, and now I knew why. Amen? I saw my mother recently. We were burying my, my stepdad, and we had, I had to accompany his body back to Kansas and help my mom get him get, you know, have a service there and get him buried in Kansas. And we were outside of Kansas City, and I said, Mom, why we're here, can we go by the old house? And she said, sure. So my brothers and I and my mom, we went and headed by the old house, and I went to the old house when I was a really little girl. And for in my memories, it's a sad place. But when I got there, I got all excited because I was like, wow, this is where Jesus appeared to me didn't matter why anymore. just mattered that he was there. And I said to my mom, I said, Mom, do you know that when I was little, that when Dad would whoop me, you'd, I'd be in my room, and I'd look out the window, and there was a man in the sky. And my mom goes, oh, I know. You told us. She said, we went out looking for her, and we thought it was a peeping Tom. I said, Mom, it had to be Jesus. And she said, of course, who else would it be? Wow. How many of you have grandchildren that have not been baptized yet? Let me see your hands. Nieces or nephews that have not been baptized? Let me see your hands. Grandchildren that are not living their baptismal promise? Let me see your hands. This is what, this is what I know is true. What I found out when I began studying the Catholic faith because I had to relearn everything I learned because of my certificate. What I found out is that there is a church in the world that is the Church of Grace. It's the Catholic Church. I received baptism as an ultimate grace, not asking for it. It was conferred upon me, and the graces that came up with it were conferred upon me. Amen? It's not magic, it's a grace that comes from God who loves us so much that he said, if you will believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you and your household would be saved. Amen. So I had grace given to me even though my parents did not raise me in the faith. God never left me. Amen. I want you to... We're just going to, right here, right now, if you have children that are not living their baptism, if you have spouses that are not living their baptism, if you have grandchildren that have not been baptized yet, lift your hands up to the Lord, every single one of you. Children that are not living their baptismal promise, grandchildren that have not been baptized yet. And I want to tell you, it is time to take a page from Madeline Madeline. Leave those hands up high. We're going to pray. And Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for the grace 
the grace of salvation, the grace freely we've received, freely give. Lord, we have freely received at baptism. And Lord, we just ask for the holy hound of heaven to go after those baptized souls that have forgotten their faith. Father, that you would run after them, that you would awaken them to their baptism, that the graces that are tied up within their lives would begin to be untied by the power of God, that they would come back into their right minds like the prodigal son. We call them back in to their home, to their faith, to their true identity. We trust you, Holy Spirit. Spirit. We trust you, Holy Mother, and I thank you that you're moving on behalf of our children and for our unbaptized children and grandchildren, for our unbaptized nephews and nieces. Lord, we ask you to give us courage to speak the truth in love and to walk alongside and help those around us to come to the font, to come to the fountain, to come to the life of God. And everybody said, amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Listen, this is war, amen. Jesus said, you have not because you don't ask. Those aren't Barbara's words. Those are Jesus' words, amen. He says, and then he says, if you ask, you will receive. If you seek, you're going to find. And if you knock, the door will be opened. Amen? Amen. God is faithful. So, ladies, it's time to take a page. Stop being so nice. I like the quote from Mother Angelica, and I'm going to butcher it right now. Before I ever came into the church, I would sit there between meetings in hotel rooms, and all I could get was this channel called EWTN, and it was always this nurse, this, this nun in this ugly brown habit. But she was amazing, and, I, and she said, we are more worried about making people our friends than seeing them in heaven. And we need to be willing. Amen? to be more than a friend, to be a companion in the journey, not just the journey of life, the journey to Christ. Amen? So I got my baptism certificate, and I was like, wow, what do I do with this? This is amazing! And, oh, by the way, I was with my mother for her final PET scan. She she was cancer-free and has been cancer-free for the last nine years. Somebody say, praise the Lord. Well, I went home in the first meeting that I had after my sabbatical. What city do you think it was in? It was in St. Louis, Missouri. So between meetings where I'm doing a prophetic conference, between meetings I run down to St. Francis Xavier Catholic Church, and I'm looking around, and I start, and this this priest walks up to me, this man all dressed, who earlier had all these robes on. Oh, I forgot. I never mind. I don't have time to go into that part. He actually had a staff in his hand earlier, so it wasn't a priest, but I didn't know that. Anyway, so there had all this stuff's going on. I'm just wandering around the back, and I'm crying, and I'm looking around, and this same man that I'd seen down in the front walks up to me, and literally, you people, we have to work on our evangelism skills. He walks up to me, and he goes, what are you doing here? <laughs> and me, eloquent speaker that I am, I just found out I'm baptized, blah, 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 and I just, I'm, 
bawling. I'm crying through the whole story. And he says to me, he goes, how many countries have you been in? You've been a missionary? This is where you were baptized? His eyes well up with tears. And he says, St. Francis Xavier is the patron saint of missionaries. He said, and you've returned to where it all began. Let me take you to the baptism font where you were given to God. And I just stood there and I wept because, you know, that day when my mom, a little 17-year-old girl, was holding baby Barbara in her arms because her Catholic grandmother in California was insisting that she have me baptized, um, God knew that I'd be standing there that day. Amen? Praise the Lord. Well, I go home, and I start doing meetings and traveling everywhere, and by this time, I'm thinking, you know what? The Coming Home Network asked me, somebody at the Coming Home Network asked me, can we send you some books? Can we send you some materials? I'm like, sure. I'm arguing with them on the site, and somebody at their place keeps emailing me and asking, how are you doing? I'm like, yeah, I'm okay. <laughs> they said, can we send you some books? And I really thought that they were only going to send me two or three. They sent me 20 books, okay? <laughs> they sent me all these books. I was so amazed. I started reading, scrutinizing as I'm reading through them. Because remember, I had an old certificate, okay? And so I'm scrutinizing these books as I'm reading. And I'm still traveling and ministering. And I'm thinking, I have got to talk to somebody. I have got to tell somebody what's going on here. So I call one of my really good friends from our missionary community. And I said, Debbie. I said, I've got to tell you what's going on. I start to tell her everything. I'm, I'm, I'm reading Catholic books. I'm finding myself in Catholic churches. I'm still ministering. We're still doing the churches. I've started a Bible school. We're training people. We're taking them to third world countries. Uh, we're, still, we're still doing all the stuff, but there's something going on, and I just, I just love it. And what do you think? And she says, me too. And I was like, what? And she starts talking to me. She says, she'd been ministering all over Europe in these ecumenical meetings. And she says, have you ever heard of a, of a priest named Father Renero Mesa? She says, I've been doing conferences with him all over Europe. She says, they're just loving me into the church. She says, I just love it. I can't get it up. I said, me too. So now there were two of us. And we're still ministering, and we're still praying, and I'm still on the Coming Home Network, and I'm asking, I'm skipping a whole bunch of stuff, I want you to know. And I'm asking the Holy Spirit, what do I do with this? What do I do? It's, I'm, now I'm reading, now the stuff I'm reading is creeping into the retreats I'm doing. I said, Lord, what do I do now? And the Holy Spirit said, you're going to take a class. And I said, yay, Catholic history? No. Catholic philosophy? No. Catholic theology? No. You're going to take a class. So what do I do? I Google. I got down there on my, and I'm Googling, and I'm looking, and I'm like, oh, there's, a, there's the, the church, and there's a school here in St. Paul, Minnesota, and the Holy Spirit's like, eh. Oh, there's another school. I can take these classes. I can audit classes. Holy Spirit goes, eh. I come across, the banner goes across the screen. Harry J. Flynn catechetical institute. I can't even say catechetical institute. I didn't know what catechetical even meant. The Holy Spirit said, that's your class. I said, that's my class? That's your class. I called the number on the banner. This woman answers. I explained to her, I'm not Catholic. I'm a Protestant minister. Actually, I'm a, I'm a prophetic minister, but I really love the church, and God is telling me I need to take this class. She goes, this is for Catholics. I said, I know, but he told me to take the class. She said, I'll get right back to you. 
Two hours later, this man calls me. I understand that you were interested in the Harry J. Flynn Catechetical Institute. Well, now I knew how to pronounce it, at least. <laughs> Why do you want to go to the Institute? So I start telling him all about it. I start telling him everything. He's listening. He's like, mm-hmm. He doesn't say anything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's listening. I'm telling him all about the books I'm reading, the people I'm meeting, the things I'm experiencing when I'm in, sitting in the back of these Catholic church, and I'm running a Bible school, and I'm a pastor of a church, and I'm traveling, and I'm doing all these things, and, and, and. And he goes, oh, this is amazing. He goes, let me tell you my story. My name is Jeff Cavins. <laughs> yeah. My name is Jeff Cavins, and I had a certificate, too. <laughs> he starts to tell me his story. I had never met. I had met lots of people that went this way. I had never met anybody that went that way. <laughs> and I was just like, wow. And he starts telling me, you know, his story and everything like that. And he goes, you know, the reason he was vetting me to see why I wanted to go to the Catechetical Institute was he knew all about that certificate of mine. He goes, I'll get back to you. So we had to get permission from the bishop for me to go. And I remember I got accepted. I just remember that felt so good. The Catholics said I could go to their school. And I got accepted. And I remember the day I walked in to the very first class, the very first day, the very first night. I walked in. And there's about 250 Catholics with their Bibles, their catechisms, highlighter markers. <laughs> That's when I knew I've arrived at the mothership. <laughs> That's when I knew these are Catholics, okay? And then I thought, well, you know, I'm going to chew the meat and I'm going to spit out the bones. And, and I, from the very beginning, I would drive home weeping. Oh my gosh, have you read the catechism? It's, a, it's not an encyclopedia. It is not a reference book. It's a story, a four-part story. And especially that first pillar is amazing. I found myself, I didn't mean to, I'm preaching out of it everywhere I go. I couldn't help myself. So I'm, now I'm in a, now I'm learning the catechism from fabulous teachers. Jeff Cavins is there, all these other wonderful men and women are coming to teach, and I remember even Father Mike Schmitz was one of the teachers in those days for the Catechetical Institute, and I'm just loving it, and I, every time I have objections because of my certificate, every single time I get there ready to, you know, but what about this? What about that? And every single time before I had a chance to ask, the presenter was already answering my questions, and I'd leave there, what? beautiful. It's so deep. It's so complete. Well, now, you know, this is amazing. So, but I have a problem because I'm prophetic minister, Bible school, uh, trainer for mission, short-term missions by day, reading Catholic contraband by night, <laughs> going to the catechetical institute. And finally, I'm doing a meeting out in New Hampshire, and I get a message on my phone. Remember Debbie? It's a message from Debbie, and she's like, Bobby, you got to call me. So right between my, our, our meetings, I'm walking along the Miramac River, and I, I'm answering Debbie, and they're like, Debbie, what, it, what is it? What's going on? She said, Barbara, we did it. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, what happened? What happened? Something happened. She goes, I said, I'm like, what? What would you do? What happened? She goes, our whole family just came into the Catholic Church. And on the inside, I went, she beat me. 
And then she's going on and on and on talking about it. And all I could think of is, why is that the first thing that popped in? She beat me? She's going on and on, and I'm thinking, she beat me? Why is that the question in my, she beat me? What? What is that supposed to mean? I go finish the conference. I go home. I wake up in my own bed after I get home, and I wake up, and I went, she beat me? Does, what does that mean? And I laid there and I thought, I know what that means. And you do too. I thought, oh my Lord. Okay, someday before I die. <laughs> no, that's really true. Before I die, I'm going to become a Catholic. I went on to the Catechetical Institute. Now, what I would do when I did the Catechetical Institute, at that time, my late husband had passed away. My youngest daughter was a music prodigy, so she's doing music with Vanska at the Minneapolis Symphony Orchestra. All this other stuff's happening. We have founded churches. We have started a Bible school. We're taking teams all over the world. We're, we're doing retreats in the Holy Land. All this stuff is going on. And they don't realize that I'm their favorite speaker because I'm teaching them from the catechism. But anyway, <laughs> at our catechetical, inst catechetical institute met on Monday nights. So I would park my car at the Minneapolis airport on Thursdays or Friday mornings, fly out, go wherever I was going to go, do the ministry that I was called to do for that time, and I would fly back in, usually Monday, get my car and drive straight to the Catechetical Institute from the airport. Well, there was somebody in one of my small groups. Now, you guys told me you wanted the unvarnished version, right? There was somebody, we would do small groups at the Catechetical Institute, and I'm loving it, but I have no intention of becoming Catholic until I'm going to die. And um, there's somebody in one of my small groups that keeps doing something that up to that time I had never experienced before. In all of that time, you know, Bill Wollner handed me that book in, 20, in the year 2000. I started the Catechetical Institute in 2011, in all of that time of visiting churches, poking my nose into churches, visiting holy sites, going into Catholic bookstores to buy some more contraband, in all of that time, nobody had ever invited me to anything. And something happened in that small group on that one particular night. This couple began to invite me to their church for the first time. Ladies, do you want to be evangelists? Do you want to be an evangelist? There's only one thing you need to know, and it's the power of an invitation. Amen? They invited me. Dave and Sharon Altman invited me to uh, um, this, the Church of the Nativity in St. Paul, Minnesota, and telling me, giving me the name of this guy, you need to do RCIA. And I said, I don't have time for RCIA. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, if, said, you know, just don't say anything you're going to regret later. I thought, okay. And uh, one day, I'm driving. I'd, I'd flown out. I'd flown back in. I got in my car, and I'm driving back to the Catechetical Institute. And I thought, <gasps> I am not going to get to the Catechetical Institute. And when they asked me if I called Randy Mueller about RCIA, I am not going to tell them no again. Because for weeks I'd been telling them I was too busy, I forgot, I didn't have time, I was in Malaysia, you know, just little excuses. 
This time I thought, I am not going to tell them that I cannot, that I did not call Randy. So I find this number. I'm on my way. I'm almost to the Catechetical Institute where we're going to have this class where, I'm, where these people are going to ask me, did you call Randy? And I dial the number and this man answers. And I said, is this Randy? He says, yes. I said, this is Barbara. He says, I've been waiting for your call. And I went, snap. I said, I know it's way too late. He goes, oh, no, we've been waiting for you. I said, oh, no, this was December. Oh, no, I know it's way too late. You don't have room for me in your program. He goes, oh, no, we have room for you in our program. I, and then I'm thinking, well, I, I'm thinking, you know, this is getting dangerous. I might have to do this. And then I said, well, what night do you meet? He goes, we're going to meet on Thursday. He goes, are you free on Thursday? And I looked at my phone really quick, and I was like, snap. Yes, I'm free on Thursday. So I started the Catechetical Institute only to find myself in RCIA. I became the valedictorian, by the way. <laughs> I woke up one morning. Those two lines in the sand, those were my heels. I'm going to tell you what I don't tell everybody, but I tell some groups. I believed. I believed in the Eucharist right from the beginning. I believed in infant baptism right from the beginning. I began to study all my misconceptions and the misconceptions of my friends, frankly, that didn't know what they were saying and didn't fully understand the things that were conveyed to me when I got my certificate. But I had a problem. I also began to believe in reconciliation because that was my last big, that and the Holy Mother. My last two, and now she's my buddy. Sorry, she just is. She doesn't want, she doesn't want to be a faraway friend. You know how when, as you mature, you become friends with your mother? Be a friend with your mother. But I had a problem, and my problem was that aside from pockets of Catholics that I met, most people that are met we're not evangelizing. I was evangelist. They didn't know what to do with new converts after they finished RCIA. I would meet so many people that said, I did RCIA, and, and then I was cut loose, and there was no community. They would fall through the cracks. They'd end up at the Church of Scientology or something. You know what you do with the baby in the nursery? You hold it. You feed it. You pamper it. Amen? You have to, you're on, you're on watch for them. I didn't see that at that time. Today I know that there's things blossoming all over our country for the glory of God through the church, but I wasn't seeing it at that time. And I thought, God, how can I come into a church that doesn't even evangelize the people in the church? And that was hard for me. I would go into churches and nobody would say a word to me. I wasn't used to that. Shall I be real? I remember going into a very, uh, a, a, a cathedral that is actually a landmark and it's a, uh, a tourist destination. And I'd sit in the back, not yet Catholic, but leaning that way, and I'd sit in the back and I'd watch all the good Catholics up front doing all the Catholic stuff, and then I'd watch all the other, every once in a while, Catholics behind them trying to catch up and trying to figure it out. Then I'd watch all the visitors that were there because of the beauty and the art and the amazement, and they were there, and they were going to see a Catholic Mass and hear the gospel preached, and they couldn't, they couldn't figure it out, and nobody was watching to see that there were fish trying to jump in, and nobody was manning the nets. 
Hello? So for me, that was like, Lord, all this beauty and truth, but they're not baiting the hooks. Amen, ladies? I want to challenge you. Don't sit. It, nah. Do I go on or not? We sit with our families in our favorite row, in our favorite section, in our favorite spot. And before we're leaving, we're already thinking about what restaurant we're going to go to, which priest is going to go with us to lunch. And we didn't even notice the single mom that was sitting in the back corner with her three kids that don't know where their dad is, who is sitting there, who doesn't need a handout. She needs the gospel. Amen? Who sat there through mass, not understanding, up, down, in, and out. I don't know what's going on. I'm confused. Next time, I'm going to go try the First Baptist Church. Hello? I have, in, in Missions 101, the first thing I would teach you would be to open your eyes. Go to Mass noticing who's not there. Go to Mass noticing the ones you don't know. Amen? Make eye contact with people. You're there to enjoy the Mass, and the Mass is not a teaching tool, but... It is the place where most visitors are going to land first. Amen? Lift your hands to the Lord if you want to be an evangelist. Let me pray for you right now. Let me pray. If you want to be an evangelist, lift those hands up high. Father, right now, I just pray for every one of these women, this army of women, this army, this, this secret strength that is here, that is part of so many different parishes and different churches. And Lord, we ask you to open our eyes and open our hearts and make us hungry for that others will know you, God. That we begin to notice what's going on around us and we begin to not wait for the priest to do it, not wait for the religious to do it, but become a committee of one. I'm going to talk to that lady. I'm going to talk to that man. I'm going to pray for that man. And Lord, I just speak an impartation of evangelization to every single one of these women right now for the glory of God. And if that's you, I want you to say amen. amen. I want to finish this story really quick. When um, I woke up one day and I said, oh my gosh, I think I want to be a Catholic. Then they made me the valedic valedictorian. So I went on a pilgrimage to, the, to Rome, and I ended up having my first communion under Pope Francis in Rome, and then was confirmed in the Catholic Church April 27, 2013, for the glory of God. Somebody say Hallelujah. I never thought I would speak again. I had to resign. I had to let everything go. I put other people in charge of the Bible school, put other people in charge of the church, did everything, gave it all away. I had people that are still angry with me. I had other people that are starting to make little steps towards me going, why, well, you know, what do you think about this and all that. But the biggest thing that happened since I come into the church is when I went, when I, remember I was in just in Rome and I had my first communion. On that same trip, before I was confirmed in the church, we also went to Medjugorje. And while I was in Medjugorje, the Holy Spirit kept talking to me and said, I want you to buy a statue of the Blessed Mother for your mother. Me, brand new Catholic, went, get behind me, Satan. I am not buying a statue for my mother. I was a new convert, okay? It was really hard to stop thinking about that certificate. 
And then I'm not going to buy a statue. Okay, I, be, I believe in her. I honor her. I'm not going to buy a statue. Well, the, the van is getting ready to leave. It's time to go home. And there's me running through the corridors. Keep the shop open. I've got to buy a statue. Thanks so much for listening to this Magnificat podcast. Have you been touched by our time together? If so, for more information or to find a Magnificat chapter near you, go to our website at magnificat-ministry.org or visit us on social media. We would love to hear from you. You can also email us at magnificatcst at aol.com or call 504-828-MARY, M-A-R-Y. Until the next time, may God bless you.